everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Women in Confidence. We are now into season seven, so which is a bit of a milestone for the podcast. And I'm joined this week by Lisa Mulligan, who is the founder of the Culture Ministry and is coming at us from Auckland, I believe, in yes. uh, New Zealand. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, welcome, Lisa, to the show, and I'll let you introduce yourself. So tell me a bit about yourself, and then we'll ask um, the key question about confidence. Great. Thank you so much for having me too, Vanessa. It's um, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, so yes, I am based in Auckland, New Zealand, which has had some terrible weather recently. But a bit about myself, I guess I've got over 20 years experience working in human resources and organisational development, change management, and uh, probably more recently in my career, diversity and inclusion. And Last year, I left the corporate world and started my own business, the Culture Ministry, and it is um, a diversity and inclusion consultancy. So I work with a whole range of businesses to help them create more inclusive environments. So as a business, they can thrive and do better, um, but also create places where people want to work and want to stay. Um, and so that's that's been really fun and exciting, and I think. I've been in business for myself now maybe about eight months and yeah, finding my feet now and really enjoying it. Lovely. And you've already given me lots to explore in that, uh, just that little introduction. So thank you. (laughs) But my first question is what does having confidence mean to you? Gosh, it's such a good question, right? Um, And I think I see so many people who don't have confidence, but I think for me, it means having the freedom to try things that you want to try in life and not, I think we're all afraid to try new things, but but understanding that you can still go and try things anyway and really working out well, what is the thing that's holding you back and then addressing that and just getting on with it, I think, for me. And, you know, confidence often looks like people who are very extroverted and who are out there in the world and just go ahead and do things. But I think underneath a lot of people struggle with feeling confident. And so for me, confidence is then the action. It doesn't mean that you're always confident. It doesn't mean that you're always sure of what you're doing, but it means you take action. Mm -hmm. And do you feel, would you describe yourself as a confident woman? Yes. Yes, I would. But, and it's interesting because people, I've had people say to me, oh, I couldn't do what you do, Lisa. You, you you are so confident. And I'm like, I'm not always confident. I'm I'm always having to have a little chat to myself about if I do that thing and if I put myself out there, what's the worst that's going to happen? And usually I can get over myself by doing that and go, okay, well, usually the worst thing that's not going to happen is is nothing really to worry about. Um, but even when I say that to people who talk to me, they go, I still couldn't do that. So, yeah. What is it about you then that you can do that? Because you said you come across people who say, I just couldn't do that. What What do you think is about you that you're like, I can do that? Yeah. I used to think it was partly because I grew up on a farm, which might be a weird thing to say. But when you grow up on a farm, everything is reliant on you. And, and not that I, I didn't work the farm, but I certainly saw my father and my mother that 
you know, when you're on a farm and things are, are happening, if um, if an animal is in danger or an animal is sick or any of, any of those things that happen, you've got to be able to rely on yourself to do things and get stuff done. And you can't decide in the morning that you're not going to milk the cows. You've still got to get up and milk the cows. So there's, you know, always this, you've got to always got to get moving, keep acting. So I think part of it is that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think growing up, my my parents would always say, you can do whatever you put your mind to, as long as you're willing to work hard enough. And so I think sometimes that confidence comes from, well, I'm willing to work hard. So so let's work hard and see what happens. You know, and and I've been given opportunities. I was the first person in my family to go to university. And so I had opportunities that meant I could be confident about what I was doing. I just really like what you said or the advice you got when you were younger about you you can be anything you put your mind to. Because yeah. I think it's a subtle difference from people saying to their kids or to people, you can be anything you want to. Because yeah. it's about actually programming largely the mind to be able to do it and getting into the discipline and putting in the hard work. So I think yeah. that's really good advice. And I think it's very subtle, but it's what you put your mind to and not whatever you want to be, which seems to be some of the rhetoric I hear about young kids. Oh, you can be anything you want to be. Well, actually, no, it's about yeah. having the mindset to be what you want to do, be, but also just the discipline and the hard work, as you said. Mm. So you, you mentioned at the beginning in your introduction that you have a HR background, so um, so do I. So yeah. we, we are absolutely <laughs> in the right space. And I'm sure we could we could have a whole podcast episode just talking about people and culture. I'm sure yes, we could. Yes, we could. Um, and some <laughs> of the horror stories and some of the fun things about it. But I yeah. want to talk about your leaving um, HR and the, and the whole corporate environment, because I know yeah. that's where you spent most of your career, actually. Now, there'll be many, many people listening who are like, oh, that <laughs> seems really scary because, you know, we both know it's safe. You get paid regularly. It's largely comfortable. You know, you have to put up yep. with some nonsense, but it's yep. a really, it almost guides you and it's an easy approach. And then you left it and started yeah. your own business. Yeah. What, what, how did that come about? What brought that move about? And then how did you know it was going to be okay and the confidence to be like right that's it I'm leaving and I yeah. got absolute trust in myself that this is going yeah. to be <laughs> lots that's of questions funny. in there sorry but you know what yeah I'm no I I think I think there's 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 two things over my career I guess that happened that made me want to leave that corporate world and it was a great career so i I got to travel the world. I got to work with different cultures. I got to live and work in different countries. So it was fantastic. But I think that there were two things. So the first thing was when I was working in HR, I was always questioning why there's something missing or like, like why don't I enjoy this as much as I should be enjoying it? And every time I did a leadership program or did a you know, little like a psychological assessment, like a DISC or a MBTI or any, I mean, there's hundreds of tools. Um, those tools would tell me I was working in the right industry. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> but I always had this kind of questioning about like, what's the issue here, I guess. So there was that. And then in 2000 and 
16, I moved my whole family. We were living in Singapore. I moved my whole family to the UK um, to accept a promotion, which was amazing. Um, and then I had been there two months and lost my job. So the company that moved me there then made my role redundant. I think it was it was the coming together of a couple of things. So one was I wasn't in control of my destiny and I wanted to have more control over my destiny. And it wasn't until I think I left the corporate world that I realized that thing that was always like, what's what's wrong here was having autonomy and freedom. And it wasn't until I left the corporate world and had autonomy and freedom in bucket loads that I was a different person. I just love that so much, but it took me ages. Like I knew I needed that stuff, but to have all of the autonomy and freedom was amazing. So when I lost my job, when I was in the UK, um, I had a plan in my head that I was going to start my own business, that I wanted to be in control of my destiny much more than I was um, at the whim of a company who happy to move me across the world and then say, okay, you don't have a job anymore. So that I planned a move uh, back to Singapore. I had planned to apply to be a permanent resident because if I was a permanent resident, I could start a business. Um, and then COVID hit. That just reinforced being able to be in control of my destiny because for months I thought I was going to lose my job. Um, I was still the main breadwinner or the only breadwinner, I think, at that time. And yeah, so I had a bit of a plan to do that over time. Um, but yeah, that's why that's why I left, I guess. <laughs> and you know, I it was that thing about confidence and thinking about, well, what's what's the worst thing that could happen? So the worst thing that could happen was I'd just have to go back and get another job in the corporate world. And that wasn't a terrible thing. So I could have confidence. Well, if this doesn't work out, then I'll go back. I think that's a really good message. And I think that's I hear that from people I speak with or coach is they're scared because they don't know what's going to happen. But I say, I say yeah. look, you're currently in a really, you know, senior job, capable job, you're skilled, yeah. you're educated, all those things. If it doesn't work, it's, it's not a failure. Just, just go back and yeah. get a job. Yeah. Like it's, it's, I mean, I'm obviously I don't laugh, um, but no, but it's, there's just this fear that there's nothing. Once you take the step, you can't then go back. And I wonder where that comes from. Is that shame of what people might think? I mean, were you ever concerned so. about people, what people might think? Did people um, say anything to you like, oh my gosh, Lisa? Only my mum. <laughs> no, everyone else was like, oh, that's amazing. That's so cool that you'll be really good at that. I think, yeah, probably it's a shame thing. And I don't. I, I don't know if I would feel shame. I would feel like, well, we tried that. That didn't work. That's okay. We can go try something else. Yeah, but I think I think a lot of people wouldn't be confident to do similar things. And when you made the move then from corporate, did you have certain things in place? You were like, I'll leave when I have, you know, X amount in the bank. I'll leave <laughs> when, you know, my kids are at a certain age. I'll leave. Did you set out a plan or you were just like, no, now's the time. I've just got to seek that destiny. Yeah, it's it's a really good question. Um, I, we'd actually, we'd moved to New Zealand and I was able to move with my corporate job, which was great. And then my husband had a corporate job here. I think we'd been here about a month and I was walking up to my 11-year-old school with the dog. Always in the afternoon, I would listen to podcasts because I love podcasts. And I was listening to a podcast um, 
between two women who were talking about business. And as I was walking up, I was like, I so want to do what they're doing. I so want to do what they're talking about. And when when is that moment going to be? Like, like what am I waiting for? Is there going to be like a sign that I should quit my job? Anyway, I got to the school and I got out my phone and I did some calculations on the calculator on my phone um, because I still owed some tax in Singapore. So I was trying to work out, okay, will I, if I quit my job, will I have enough money to pay my tax and, you know, live? And kind of went, yep, I'm going to do that. And I didn't have a plan, you know, I didn't have an idea in my head about how much money I needed in the bank. Um, We did have some money in the bank because we'd sold a property. Um, So we had a bit of a buffer, uh, which was great. My husband was working. Um, But there was, yeah, there was no, there was no plan. I just came home and told my husband that I was quitting my job. And and he was like, no, you're not. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am enough. But I had put some things in place. So when I said that I moved from the UK back to Singapore um, and I wanted, and I'd actually set up a business entity, I'd started my own podcast so that I could start to build my brand and so that people would know who I am. I, I had people doing my social media for me while I was still in the corporate world. Um, so just creating some of that stuff. I had a website. Um, So a lot of those things I could pay for while I was still working, which was super helpful because it takes, if I had just quit my job and didn't have any of that stuff in place, that could have taken three months to get all of that stuff set up. So, so I did kind of have a plan, but Mm. yeah. But that's really good advice is that whilst you, you are having the regular income, uh, you put, start to put things in place where, you know, you can afford it and build your brand and build your presence and your network whilst you're already in a secure-ish, I mean, nothing secure. I mean, no. Working in HR, we know <laughs> very secure. Few, nothing about um, jobs are secure, really. Um, yeah. So my next question is around the culture ministry. Mm-hmm. I mean, how's it going? Tell me about that. It depends on the day you ask me and how <laughs> confident I'm feeling. Um, no, it's going really well. And I think when I left, I thought, all this work is just going to land in my lap, but it doesn't work that way. But I've won bits and pieces of work, which has been really amazing. Um, people who I've worked with many, many years ago in my HR career um, have been engaging me for work, which is amazing. I've done some work around self-identified data with organisations, done some training work, I've done some keynote speaking kind of work, which is great. Um, and I'm also really interested in developing people who want to work in diversity and inclusion within organizations. And I'm interested in working with those people because the work is really hard. (laughs) It's um, at the moment, it's under-resourced. There's no budget usually or very little budget. It's hard to get the attention of the organization because usually big organizations that have DNI roles are very busy. um, So it's hard to cut through. Yeah, I want to help those people be really successful because I've done those roles. I know how hard they are um, and I know some of the structures you can put in place to actually make progress in your organisation, yeah. So you said DNI. well, I've worked in DNI, so it's like funding mm. isn't always there. It's it's just one of those things that actually we need to focus on the business. It's one of those things that just doesn't necessarily get the right attention. And you said yeah. really importantly, you said it's hard to cut through. 
How yeah. did you manage it? Because you did a you've done a very successful DNI job. How did you yeah. cut through? What was your way of doing things? I I had some help in and and this sounds terrible, but a couple of things. I started my DNI role in 2019. In 2020, we had two things happen that really accelerated DNI work in organizations. So one was uh, the murder of George Floyd, which for some reason, and, and maybe because it was televised so much, finally cut through and caught the attention of so many people, not just in the US, but overseas. So that made a massive difference. That alone meant that the job I was doing at the time, I had I started with no budget and I was the only person in a huge organization leading DNI to going to an additional two people and quite a large budget. So that really helped. And of course, COVID helped because it helped elevate the challenge with mental health, which often comes in under diversity and inclusion. So they were a couple of things, but in terms of cutting through, I see a lot of people working in DNI that think that the work is just running an event. Of course, events are great. We're recording this just after International Women's Day. Of course, those things are important. It's great to raise issues. It's great to educate. But you need um, much more structure and planning um, around what happens during the year, what your goals are going to be, how do they link with the strategy of your organisation, how do you link your DNI work with the purpose of your organisation and what you're trying to achieve, and then how do you create accountability? So how do you ensure that the leaders know that if we've got to deliver this work and if not, they're going to be held accountable if they don't achieve the goals that we've set? So um, in that respect, it's change management work. And I think that's how you you cut through. Um, I think you also cut through by knowing that it's a long-term play and it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to get lots of women in leadership roles, you know, just because we said we want that. You've got to do stuff over the long term. And with the yeah. women in leadership roles, it's so systemic. You can't just be, well, just bring them in and they'll be yeah. fine. Because <laughs> I've, you know, I know that from my experience, but it's like, that tends to be the solution. We'll just get 30% uh, um, and it will be all right. And we'll hit our targets and everything will be groovy. And it's so not the case at all. No. Well, tell me about International not. Women's Day, because you, you're right. It's, it was a couple of days ago, and I have an opinion on it, but I just want to, do you still think we need an International Women's Day? Yes. <laughs> and I've been posting about it all over social media for two weeks. It's been great. <laughs> yes, because there are so many parts of the world where we don't have equity. Like we just, and not just in organisations. I mean, we work in big organisations, so that's often our focus. But when you look to the community and what's happening in, in our communities around the world, yeah, women don't have equal access to education and, and a whole range of things. So, yes. <laughs> Is that what you think too? Yeah, do I do. Think? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I completely agree. And I probably was sucked into that whole corporate, oh, let's go to an event and let's celebrate that we are amazing women in this company of you know, yeah. 40,000 men, but there's three of us. And and yeah. then after the, over the years, I've just thought this is BS because actually what you're forgetting is there's, there's a whole world of women who are not as fortunate as I am yeah. to have, live in this society, to be safe, to not have any threat of violence. I have access mm. to capital. I've been well-educated. 
Yeah. So what International Women's Day is missing largely is the fact that for a big portion of women, they don't have that. And so we no. slap ourselves on the back and go, oh, look, aren't we an amazing company because we've got, you know, three minute women on the board missing the point about International Women's Day. And I've just got, I think it's not just me. There's a, there's a whole movement of women who are like going, yep. this is BS. It's like, yep. we're missing the point here. And yep. I think that's where I'm now at the stage of, I won't go to a corporate event because I just don't see any value in it. It's not really moving the dial anyway no. in big business, but also globally, it does. It's so meaningless because it's not action. Yeah. It's just a corporate event. Anyway, that was a really, really long answer, but yeah. I'm, quite, <laughs> I'm quite cross about yeah. the whole the whole thing that International Women's Day has been hijacked by corporates to, to pat themselves on the back. Yeah. Have you ever researched who runs International Women's Day? Have you ever looked at that? As in the, the actual, was it, I'm assuming it was something like the UN or I don't know. Actually, you tell me. I don't know. Gosh, that's bad of me. No, well, I'd never thought of it either. So, you know, there's a, an official International Women's Day website. And I got really annoyed this year because of the the pose. So yeah. we need to stop the pose. But the whole hug yourself, that's just bullshit. So, <laughs> so then I went and did a bit of research. It's really hard to find out who who's, whose website is this, who's behind it and who runs it. Um, but it looks like it's a group of big organisations in the US who've come together as a conglomerate. Um, and I think it's something like eight or ten organisations. There's some big, some of the big four consulting firms, um, other very large um, listed companies in the US somehow fund and bring together this organisation. And from what I can work out, it looks a bit commercial, although I don't know how they make money out of it, or maybe they don't. Maybe it is just something they're doing as a good thing, but I feel like it's lost its way. And I think if you looked this year, UN Women actually had a completely different theme. They had something that was much more meaningful around technology for girls and women, um, to make sure women have access to technology, a part of the development of technology, because we need more diversity in that. Yeah, so I, I feel like International Women's Day as an organisation are a bit of a fake and a bit of a front, and we still need the day, but I'm loving what UN Women are doing and other organisations are doing because they are trying to make it more meaningful. Mm, gosh, I did not know that. It sounds very, it's just a brand, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. And these companies do branding incredibly well, but yeah. it's commercial. Yeah. So maybe my feeling is is actually based on truth, is that it's BS to promote their own good deeds in terms yeah. of um, equity. All right, yeah. so so what's what is the... What is the future of the culture ministry and the future for you? And, you know, where do you see yourself really adding value to not just gender diversity and the whole women um, piece, because that's where my area, but just yeah. generally, where do you see your ability to really step into organizations and help them? Probably two ways. One is developing the people that are in those roles or who want to be in those roles and move their career into those roles. I think they need lots of support and I think we need to professionalise this function. Um, and it, it reminds me a little bit when I first started working in HR, I worked for a really large global company and safety was a massive, massive issue. And 
that particular company I worked for, every month someone would die be killed at work on one of our sites. It was awful. And now, 20-something years later, we we don't hear about that. We don't kill people at work very often, um, which is great, right? You don't want to you don't want to lose your your life at work. And I and I think about the safety culture that's had to change over that time and all the things that people who wanted to make workplaces safe had to do. You know, they had to measure things, they had to set goals, they had to create accountability, they needed leadership support. They did training, all these things, because it was a culture change and DNI is a culture change. So I really want to support people who work in that space to understand that and say, we've actually got an example in industry that shows us how to do it. So let's get professional and do that. So that's one thing I'm I'm really passionate about. The other thing is I want to work with organisations that actually do want to change things. And I'm a very direct person. My my word for the year is provocative and not in a not in a sexy way, but in a okay, let's really challenge our thinking around what we're doing here. Like what I've been doing for International Women's Day. We we still need International Women's Day, but let's let's actually make action this year. Let's let's do less of the posing and the photos and, and make action. So I really want to create a business that works with organisations who who actually want to make change and don't want to be bullshitty about it, I guess. Yeah. And with that, companies making change and really being and bringing someone like yourself in to be provocative, how brave are companies, though, to do this? Because they're going to have <laughs> to change some of the fundamentals or the foundations of which their company was established, has been known for. Yeah. How brave are companies? What's your take on it? Um, I would say most are not brave at all, not, not at all. <laughs> and, and is that, and <laughs> yeah, is that a, is that a leadership challenge? Is, is that where it sits? Is it the leaders are just not brave enough or they're just too comfortable in their own bubbles or is it something yeah. else? I, th- I think it's both of those things. And there's also, there's also this challenge in listed companies where, you know, they've got to report to a board and they report to shareholders. There's a real reticence to step outside the kind of, you know, that that creates quite a conservative environment when you're listed. There's only certain things you can say publicly. There's only certain things you can do publicly. So all of that structure that sits around listed companies, and, and that structure exists for a good reason, right, because shareholders need to know what's going on. But that then creates a culture of like, oh, we can't do that. We can't say that. But we still have to be seen doing the right thing, even though internally we might actually not be making any progress and it's a bit of a smokescreen. So so in my experience, that's partly why. But also, you know, for some businesses, they're very successful. Why do we need to change? Like, well, maybe you could be even more successful. Maybe you could sell to a different market if you were more diverse. Um, maybe you could spend less money recruiting people because you can retain the people you've got if you've got an inclusive environment. What do you think? What do you? I think most organisations are quite conservative. Do you find that as well? Yeah, I do. I think there's well, I think probably like you, there's there's a number of factors. It isn't just that just one thing. I think there's yeah. I think there's leaders who have made it to where they have through the process, and therefore. Yeah that's how success has been defined in their mind is that you have to do the same as me. And I've seen this in companies that I've worked for is 
you know, you reach the top and it's bloody hard work to get there. Yep. And therefore everybody else has to go through that. And I'm not going to change any of that because that's character building or something, yeah. something like that. Um, so I've seen that, uh, that you have to go through the same pain as me. So I'm not going to change anything. I've seen leaders who are way too busy. Like there's just so much on that yeah. they trying to get just a tiny little corner of their brain to think about change or doing dni is so tricky when they've got you know 101 other things and so it's not it's not about will it's just capacity yeah i've seen that and i think you're right the whole you have to report to somebody it's it could be made public makes people very nervous to take some big steps yeah but i think the benefits are huge potentially yeah that business thing is really interesting because I think, I don't know, the bigger the company, the more it, they're so busy internally, there's so much going on that it's overwhelming for people. And it's interesting, I I was speaking to a woman who runs her own business um, a few weeks ago, a very successful business during COVID, it, it went gangbusters, like just amazing. And she was saying that for two years, like I think 2020, 2021 and partly 2022, they were, the whole team were completely burnt out. And so then they sat down and said, okay, what do we want this business to be and look like? And how do we want to work in this business? Everyone wanted to work remotely. Everyone wanted to work part-time. And so as a team, they worked out, well, how can we do this? And so now they're making even more money, but they're working less hours because they got really focused about what business they wanted to be in and how many hours they wanted to work. And I was just like, how could we take some of that into big organisations that often burn out people and there's no space to do things differently um, like try and create inclusion? I just, that stuck with me so much. But you know, probably for the last two or three jobs in my career, I have been saying this is too much. It's too complicated. We're trying to do too many things, but no one listens. No mm. one, it's it's like this, we've just got to keep going. We've got to be busy. Yeah, yeah that, that hamster wheel. But I, I've been in companies where I've just wanted to scream, can we just stop for like two days and do nothing? Like, can we yeah. just think about what we're doing <laughs> <Just> here? Breathe. <laughs> <laughs> but also just like, you're right, you've got too much on, we're doing too much. What have we lost focus here because we're just doing all the stuff and that's where I've been like let's just stop for two days and do some reflection and be like is this really yeah what we want from a company but it's maybe it is just that corporate world and probably one of the reasons why both of us left to have that freedom is because I don't need to be in another committee meeting about something I have but you know well you know what it's like and you know do I need to submit another report on the same data I sent you know three weeks ago whereas you just don't have that as a small business owner you've got yourself well it is in my case and probably in yours is yourself and maybe a very small team behind you yeah you don't need to produce the the same report three times a week (laughs) no and you know what I do now which I love I do a monthly report on all my stats so my podcast downloads and my social media engagement things and my revenue, and it's fun. I love doing it now. Did I like doing reports in the corporate world? No, not so much. But yeah, I love it because it. Oh, I've made progress. Oh, I didn't do so well on that bit. Oh, I can try something different. Yep. You you sometimes don't have that flexibility in a big in a big organization. So 
And do you feel then as a small business owner that you are growing in confidence in ways that perhaps you didn't think? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So much. Even just social media. So funny. It's like, oh my God, I need to do videos. Got to do videos. But the first couple were terrible. And now I'm like, okay, I can do a video. Yeah. So, and learning new things that makes you confident when you can learn new things. Yeah. It's yeah. so fun. I love what you're saying about the videos because I've been through that and I rarely do videos. <laughs> and that's probably why I'm a podcaster because I hide behind <laughs> my, my, my screen. Yeah. I, I can choose to show this video or not. But, but you, I mean, you must have, well, you talk on social media, you've done podcasts. Something yeah. in you must drive you. What, what, you re, what drives you? What, what are you doing this for? Oh, that's a big question. I think, I think just to have a big life, ultimately, to be able to provide amazing experiences for my kids. You know, they've been expat kids and we've traveled a lot and they love traveling and I want to continue to do that by having a bigger life and being able to earn more money. That gives you freedom. That gives you choice. So I think a lot of a lot of what drives me is to be able to have that choice and 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 working hard, being able to earn money for myself gives that, and mm. it and it means I can work whenever I want. Um, I finally twigged that if on a Tuesday afternoon I'm sick of work, I could I could go do something else because I often work on a Saturday or a Sunday. Like I love all of that. So yeah, being able to build something that, that means I have choices and freedom and that I can support my family, I think. Why do you do it? I think probably similar. I think part of it is testing myself, which might sound really weird, but I just think I'm quite, I'm very driven. I'm not even going to say I'm quite driven. I'm very driven. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to be out there, but I just think part of me, and maybe it's it's part of my personality. I like to test myself and I like to prove that I can do things. Yeah. And I guess that challenge. So I'm not saying that's the only reason, but that to me really drives me. Can I do this? Can I prove to myself, not to the rest of the world, but can I, can I run a podcast, you know, and get into the second year of running a podcast? Can I hit so many downloads? Can I achieve X amount of revenue? And that's what drives me. I've got, I guess I've got somewhere deep inside me, a really competitive nature and but very and yeah. very very driven so that's probably one of the reasons why I do it to prove to myself that I can yeah yeah which is oh, I like that yeah I don't know where it goes I and mean, obviously then obviously I'm my kids and you know supporting um myself but also financial independence is so important to me it was yes. a lesson that my mum taught me and I've mentioned it before in one of these episodes is my mum always always used to say to me make sure you are financially independent never rely on anybody else and that has stuck and thank god my mum taught me that it has stuck and I I just refuse to be dependent on anyone else for money and therefore I have to be driven yep because it's only me who's going to be that way I so agree with that I want to know that if something happens to my husband, if he, you know, leaves me or gets run over by a bus, whatever it is, or I'm just sick of him, that I can stand on my own two feet. And I have learned that through my family, that again, it's about choice, that if you're earning your own money and your relationship's not working or something happens, then you have the choice to do something about it, right? 
Mm. I found this very challenging when I was uh, living and working in Singapore because a lot of expats moved to Singapore for big jobs, big regional jobs, earn a lot of money. Usually if they've got a partner or spouse who travels with them, and they're usually the women, the women go, oh, well, everything's paid for. I don't need to work. And they stop working. And it's also like if you have a baby and you, and you don't go back to work for 20 years, you stay at home. There's nothing wrong with either of these options, right? But in terms of being financially independent, I think there's a big issue. So if you're an expat in Singapore and you don't have to work, great. But what are you doing to keep your skills current? What, you know, what are you doing that if, if something happened, how, how would you support yourself? It's very difficult. So. And I always think um, maybe there's a sensible part of me is like my pension is like if I need I am going to carry on working and yeah. paying into my pension because again that's that financial independence. So if yep. I stopped work because my husband earned you know lots of money in Singapore, yeah, how is my pension being topped up? So when I get to sixty five, yeah. this is a really sensible conversation we're having here. But you know yeah. it's like these things like your pension is your financial independence. It's your ability mm. to live a full life when you retire. I'm not going to give that up at all. Like, yeah. so I continue to work to pay into that. So yeah. I can retire when I want to and have the life that I want to because I've worked. Yeah. yeah. The biggest group of poverty in poverty in Australia, or the biggest growing group of in poverty, is women in their 50s, mm. 60s. And it's because they left the workforce when they had children. Great, raised their children. So noble, amazing, no super, <laughs> marriage breaks up, you only get maybe half of, of the at the house. You can't then probably can't buy another house. You've got nowhere to you've got no super, you got no, and you can't work because you have no skills. Like what the? Yeah. Yeah. What the? And it's and it's people like you and me who can raise these issues, make them public, make them heard, and then do something about it in our own small ways. Yes. And I, I don't know your, I know your podcast is slightly different to this one, but it is about educating women around these things and in a non-judgmental way, because we yeah. all have our choices yeah. to make uh, and we do this to reason, but women, please, please sort your finances out and mm. be financially independent. Mm. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so Lisa, how can people find you and learn more about you and the culture ministry? Yeah, look, um, I'm on LinkedIn, so either under Lisa Mulligan or the Culture Ministry, either of those is great. Um, and you can also go to my website, which is thecultureministry.com. And your podcast is? Oh, in, yes, my podcast is. Which is a really interesting called name. <laughs> diversity. I think I get more questions about how did you name that podcast <laughs> than, mo- than anything else. But how yeah, did you cool. name it? How did I name it? So I have a friend, um, a British friend in Singapore who's a bit of a marketing, I'm going to say savant. She's very clever at knowing what people like. And I was, during COVID, I was on WhatsApp with her going, I need a name for my podcast and I want like something with diversity. And I can't remember how the dog came in, um, but we were we were brainstorming on WhatsApp, as you do in a pandemic. And, yeah, I came up with that one and, I just liked it. I liked the dog and the diversity and my logo is a take on the His Master's Voice logo, which the, the dog at the gramophone. And so I've got the dog with the, the podcasting mic and I don't know, I just thought it was cute and I thought it might stand out and cut through 
yeah but it has so also go and listen to a dog called diversity podcast um, hosted by lisa mulligan well lisa thank you very much for being on women in confidence and for sharing all your um, advice and tips and your opinions on things i think it's really important we have these conversations and we keep them going and we spread our words to the wider world so thank you very much thank you